Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Launch University. Jeff Henderson with you. I'm coming to you from Irvine, California, the land of the Lakers, from what I've told <laughs> Sam. And I am with one of my best friends, Sam Collier. Wow. And the this guy, talk about a launcher. He's got an amazing story. You, I think you launch something every other day, from what I can gather. And uh, you've launched a marriage recently, and your oh, wife wow. is in the room. She is here. When she's here, it's all better. She's awesome. She is multi-talented as well, and also works at Gwinnett Church. And she's and, a launcher. Yeah, she, she's a launcher as well. We're going to have you on the podcast. Right, today. right. But Sam, give us, uh, you've got an amazing story, but tell us a little bit of your background, and then I want to dive into some of the things that you've been launching. And then what we're going to learn from Sam is just some lessons that he's learned over the years about how to take an idea, turn it into reality, and sustain it. So give us a little bit of the Sammy C story. Man, I, um, some, I guess many people have heard my story. Some people, many people haven't. Um, started in Augusta, Georgia, um, I have a twin sister. We got adopted at two months. Our mother, um, when she gave us up for adoption, she um, was on welfare, poverty-stricken situation. The adoption papers say that they trace her steps back to a prostitution house. And so uh, she had five kids at 21, Mm. um, and that's including me and my sister. And Mm. she said, I don't have enough money to take care of the ones I have. Um, How can I take care of these new ones? The best thing I can do is give them up for adoption and pray, you know, the Moses story <laughs> and pray that, um, that God takes care of them. And, uh, so she sent us up the river. Then we got adopted by an amazing couple who had just met was coming out of divorces. Um, extremely, you know, my mom was in a messy situation. My mom's, you know, I call my mom, my dad for the, for the listeners. Right. Um, she was in an abusive situation cause he was married to a black Panther um, he had hit her in the head with a hammer, mm. and this was the day for her where she said, "Hey, here, here's the deal. I can't go back. I need an alibi." And she's went to to the laundromat <laughs> on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon and met my dad, who was in the middle of his second marriage. First marriage didn't go well. Second marriage didn't go well. The first marriage, he had two kids and um, two sons, and the mom wouldn't let him be a part of their lives. So one of them has HIV and AIDS now, and the other one was in prison for a while, but he's out. Now they're all serving God. But it was just kind of the story of what happens when you grow up without a father. And so they meet in probably one of the darkest places that they've ever been in in their life, and they give their life to Christ. They never look back. They get married, and they say, here, this is our opportunity to do it right. They figure out they can't have kids, and they come down to adopt us. And when they came to adopt us, the lady you know, at the agency said, you don't want to adopt them. They're probably not going to be much hmm. where they come from, crack cocaine, poverty, prostitution. Um, and so if this is your opportunity to do it right, you probably don't want to do this. <laughs> and uh, they had a little meeting. I, I always say they had a private meeting and they heard from God and said, no, these are the ones we're supposed to adopt. Hmm. And so long story short, my sister went to Spelman, Georgia Tech, dual scholarship. She's an industrial engineer. And, I, and I'm on podcast with you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I feel like, you know, it worked out. And so, I mean, life was, after that, I mean, it was cool. I mean, it, 
I did ministry for a while. I had got my first record deal, 10th grade. I was playing six instruments and, you know, went around the country. It's writing with people like India Ari, worked with a lot of ushers groups for a while. Um, and then God called me into the ministry. He like shut every, you know, you, God shuts every door. <laughs> it's like, okay, God, I know I'm good at this, <laughs> but why aren't you opening any door? I mean, I'm meeting the top people in the industry and nothing is, is working out and it's not talent. And you know, the industry is honest. They're going to tell you, Oh, you need to work on your songs. Oh, your voice is okay. Oh, you need to get more stage presence. It was none of that. It was just, Hey, we just signed a male artist. So can't sign you. I mean, everywhere I went, we just signed Tyrese. So can't, mm-hmm. we really don't have any more room. And, and so God just kind of brought me to my knees and I said, God, whatever you want me to do is what I'll do. If you want me to work at McDonald's, I'll go work at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just want you to be there with me. Um, and I kind of gave it to him and, and uh, ministry called me and, mm-hmm. you know, people were calling and asking me to direct choirs and worship bands and teams and I ended up at a 25,000 member black church. I was over at young adults, high school, college, middle school, praise teams, choirs, bands, a little bit of youth strategy, all of that. I always say it's a black church, so you got a lot of jobs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just is what it is. Um, and then we went through some things at that church, and I transitioned out and ended up at North Point, which was a huge culture shock. It took me about two years to get acclimated. Mm-hmm. And just through that, have been able to speak on a lot of the stages at our different campuses. Um, Obviously, Gwinnett Church, mm-hmm. Blackhead Church, North Point, high school, middle school, some adult services, you know, singles, all that. And uh, launched a nonprofit. And uh, we've reached about 100,000 kids in the inner city mm-hmm. in, I think, the last five years. And, uh, you know, all that. <laughs> and it's just ama- it's an amazing story. Uh, you know, I just, I just think of your parents being told, you don't want to adopt them. <laughs> And it's just, it's amazing. It's the power of God, and it's the power of uh, faith and obedience when your parents heard, nope, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And I've met your, <laughs> yeah, I've met the, your, your adopted parents, and, and I've met your mom, too. Your, yeah, your, you have your biological, your biological mom. mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Reason, we all just met her recently, right? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell, tell our listeners real quick about that story, how you met oh, your, man. your, your mom. Oh, um, man. Oh, yeah, I did. I left that out. Uh, our... We went on the Steve Harvey show for, in, in short, but it started with my adopted dad who, you know, we have a, a tradition, Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings, if you will, afternoons, NFL football, you know, uh, some of my white friends, they, uh, you know, they do college football. So we, I, that was new for me. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, this is a whole tribe. This is a culture. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, we, yeah. cause what we do, we do NFL and, uh, so we did that, and the, the tradition is you don't talk, and so we weren't. <laughs> so you you just watch the game. You just right? watch the game. Yeah. If you talk, you have to get out. <laughs> so we didn't talk, and my dad, he's from the country. He's loud. He breaks the rule, and he just shouts one day. He's like, "You know what you need to do?" We said, "Dad, why why are you yelling? You need to go find your parents." We're like what? He said, "Well, you could grow up and marry your brother or your sister." I was like, "Oh my goodness, Dad, what are you?" He said, well, you need to go find him. You don't want to do that. And, uh, he said, another thing, you need to go on the Steve Harvey show to do it. We said, Dad, you have lost your mind. And <laughs> I left, found out two weeks later, he convinced my sister to write in. A year later, they call us. Hey, we think we can help you find your parents. We're like, what? Uh, they bring us up to Chicago. And they say, we, you know, we're sorry we couldn't find anybody. 
Um, we, we've looked everywhere, but, you know, we want to bring you on the show to make a plea. And so they brought us on the show. We were getting ready to make our plea. And Steve says, well, actually, we lied. Your mother is here. Um, and we said, and, and Eleanor, come on out. And she came out. And on national television, we met our biological mom for the first time mm-hmm. after 25 years. And it was crazy, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and then he says, oh, and another thing. Your brothers and sisters are here too, which we didn't know we had. Wow. And so three of them walk out and for the first time in our, our lives, we're seeing people that look like us on national television. And uh, so it's just been crazy. That's that story. <laughs> well, and I, you, when you spoke at our church, you showed that video from Steve Harvey. Yeah. And there was not a dry eye in the house. And I guess they could probably see it on YouTube or something. Yeah, I mean, I think if they Google Sam Collier and Steve Harvey, Mm -hmm. it'll just pop up. Okay, wow. And they can just watch it. So here's why I wanted you to tell that story. If you're a launcher today and you've uh, you've got excuses, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I, you know, have what it takes. Well, Sam started in a in a rough spot. (laughs) Yeah. And you have launched all sorts of things. What has given you the confidence to I mean, we're going to talk about some of the things you've launched, but what has given you the confidence and assurance I can do this? Oh, man. Um, I went through a period where nothing was working. And all of our listeners can relate to that. Right. We we, we, we all all have that story. Yeah, and nothing was working partially because what I had been taught was you – Go find somebody that can help you make it work. And once you find that person, everything will work. And so that's what I did. I started trying to get as many mentors. I, I started trying to sign deals with managers and, you know, investors. And I'm like, hey, well, this guy has done something. He can help me do something. And, and it never worked. And or, or I always saw it being a different way. Oh, maybe we should do it this way. Oh, maybe we should. But nothing ever worked. And I, I, I honestly feel like God brought me to my knees to where I was tired of working with people that were making me promises. And then they wouldn't follow through on their promises. And then it's like, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. And then it's like, well, it's time to do it. Well, I don't want to do it like that. Anymore. I mean, and it's just, oh, well, let's do that. And that doesn't work. And then I ended up owing people money. And I'm like, well, I told you not to do that. I mean, it just... Just following that idea that if I get with people that have done some things, then it can work. And it didn't. And so I just gave up on people, honestly, for a second. And um, uh, the Lord started putting ideas in my head. And he says, you can't use anybody to do this. You got to go do this. Mm. And I said, well, God, that's scary. What if it doesn't work? I mean, because honestly, for me at the time... What I realized was that I always had a life, I always had like a lifeboat, right? The people that I was bringing in my, the people that I was bringing into my life, I was like, okay, I can just fall back on them. If it doesn't work, they'll bail me out or they'll, they won't let me fall. And for the first time, God is saying, remove the lifeboat. And uh, I was scared and a good friend of mine said, well, that's what faith is. You know, faith isn't faith when there's a lifeboat. Faith is faith when God's asking you to walk on water. Right. And <laughs> and you could drown. Yeah. He's like, do you trust him then? Right. When he's like, hey, Peter, come out the boat. Mm-hmm. And and it challenged me. And I said, wow. He said, your faith's being tested. What are you going to do? And then he said to me, what if it takes that type of faith for God to open up doors for you? 
What if God's been waiting on you to lean on him instead of other people? What if that's why he's been shutting doors? Among other reasons. And I said, okay. And he said, you just got to try it. And, and so from that day on, I jumped out. I was like, okay, well, God, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> and I jumped out there and it exploded. Mm. And I was like, whoa. I mean, this is crazy. Like ideas from my own head. And, um, and I think to answer the question, that's what gave me the confidence was God pulling the lifeboat from under me and going, all right, do you really trust me? Mm-hmm. And then him and then him meeting me at my faith. That gave a confidence to me like nothing else ever could. It was like, God, if you tell me to do something, you're going to do it. And, and he did it. That's great. So many of, many of you may be having that lifeboat experience right now. You know, so what would you tell them? Hey, get out of the boat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. Faith is not faith if it's not tested. And, you know, all, that scripture that says faith without works is dead. Um, I think that the works piece involves us primarily first. I think that means, I don't think that means call up a friend and get them to do it. (laughs) I think it means you do it. And I think that there's some, I think God makes us, if I can speak on a more religious or spiritual, in a spiritual manner, I, I think God makes us do it ourselves to prepare us for the harvest that may come from it. Mm -hmm. Because there's something that happened in me when I did it myself. There was a confidence. There was a a conquering of fear thing that happened. There was a, okay, here it is. It's okay. I I can do it. There was a belief I had to have in myself um, that I needed for when it worked. Mm -hmm. Because I think had I not had it, then I wouldn't be ready to take the next step. Because, you know, with visions and with dreams, you get one, once it starts, now you actually have to make it work. I mean, right? <laughs> right. Once it starts raining, you got to keep it pouring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes that same amount of faith and that same amount of overcoming fear. And if you never overcome the fear of stepping out on your own, even if it fails, then you'll never, I guess, establish the confidence to take the next step when it's time to take your vision to another level. So I would say start now. That's great. Now, I'm always fascinated by how launchers come up with their ideas. So you launched this nonprofit. It's been going for almost 10 years now yeah. uh, called No Losing. Tell us how you came up with the idea and what that is. Man, you know, it, I was in that dark place, and I was trying to figure out how to make life work. And, you know, John 1010 kind of jumped out at me. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And it was the first time I kind of started seeing life as a game that I can win. I don't have to lose that God is actually for me. He's on my side. Um, but if I'm going to win the game, I actually have to play to win. If I'm going to win the game, I need to understand the rules of the game. If I'm going to win, I'm going to have to get rid of every aspect in my life that's causing me to lose. And so I started letting go of fear and people that were pulling me down and my life started to change. So I said to myself, there's probably a lot of people who are going through this same thing. And I started meeting young adults that were going through the same thing. They were in this space where they felt like they were losing and running into brick walls and so on and so forth. And I said the same thing, hey, you can win, but you gotta understand the rules to the game of life. 
you got to get rid of things that are causing you to lose. you got to believe that you can win and you have to actually strategize and play to win. Because I realize there's a lot of people that are in life that aren't playing to win at all. <laughs> They're just coasting. Yeah. Like what happens, whatever happens is happening. But no, I'm like, what does it mean to play to win? I think it, you wake up every day going after life instead of waiting for life to happen to you. And so when I started doing that and talking to more people, I said, man, this is working. And people started being helped. I said, well... What if we help the next generation get there before they get to our age? And um, that's kind of where No Losing was born, going into schools. Because our big question was, well, where's the next generation? Were they in churches? Yeah, but do I want to do churches? Where's the most young people? They're in schools. So let me go to schools. I need a mainstream message. I can't take a bunch of scripture in there. What is it? All right, no losing. Winning and losing is easy. Let's do career days first. And then I just started getting visions of assemblies. And the whole idea for me was just to hit and reach as many young people as possible. So for me, which I think, you know, you can identify with, it, it really was about the strategy. How do I get to as many young people as possible? Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to do assemblies. I don't want to do after school. Mm-hmm. I need to do it during school. How do I get to do assemblies during school? Well, I have to figure out what the principal wants. So I started just kind of you know, reverse engineering the process of what is it going to take for me to do this? And I came up with this strategy called the win-win-win. And so it's if I can figure out what a school's win is, a principal's win is, and my win, I add another win, and the kids win, and create a program around all four of those wins, then I can win. Mm. And so that's what we did. Love it. <laughs> and it just blew up. So so I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So you have this idea, you got the strategy, and then, but I often also like to ask launchers, so what did you do next? Did you pick up the phone and call a principal? How, what, what are those, <laughs> how did you get this thing started? Because it's, again... There's the idea phase, and yeah. then there's the, okay, we got to have customers, if you will, phase. Yeah. So how did you get into schools? Man, you know. And if I could say, this is, you may not be getting into schools as a launcher, but you're trying to get into a business, sell something. So you got this idea, you got the strategy around it now, but you got to call people, right? So how did you, so translating that from your, your launching where you are to where Sam is now. So how did you get into schools? You know, I always say that, you know, if I can go spiritual again on us, I always say that God has given us everything that we need to do what we're supposed to do. So I think a piece of this is, is getting into the right idea. Because I think a lot of times we try to launch things that we're not supposed to launch. And I just think God closes doors on stuff all the time. <laughs> And it just won't work because you're not supposed to be doing that. But I do think that when you find that idea or surrender, that's a big one, surrender to that idea that you're supposed to be doing already, that you know people have been asking you to do this. It's a niche of yours. It's a gift. It's a passion. You see extreme results in it. I think once you get into that, everything is already around you that you need. I I always give, and then I'll answer the question more directly, but I'm walking my way up to it. I always give this analogy. When you get a new car, you start to see it everywhere. I got an Audi. It was a, a 99 model, but it looked like a 2006. So people thought I had, I was, you know, balling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I really wasn't. It just looked like I was balling. But I started seeing this Audi everywhere when I got it. I mean, it was everywhere. Same thing with a new, you know, a new pair of shoes that you get. Oh, I see. Oh, you have those shoes. I think we all have had that moment. The question that I used to ask God is, okay, What's happening? I mean, and guys ask me, you know, hey, well, 
was the car not there the whole time? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, sure. He's like, or did the cars just, just start showing up when you got the car? And I'm, and I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. He says, okay, so what changed? He said, something changed in you and you started seeing what was around you the whole time. And that's how I feel about what we're supposed to be launching. And so to answer the question, I think that the people you need to launch your business and your dream are already in your phone. Hmm. You just haven't surrendered to the idea or looked through the phone. That's good. (laughs) And so for me, everyone was already in my phone that I needed to launch it. So I just went through the phone and I said, who, who knows public schools? I mean, who's in a public school? And it was like, 50 people in my phone. I was like, "That's my auntie is in the public school. <laughs> and I started sending text messages out. Hey, I have this idea. And through relationships, they said, yeah, come tomorrow. I said, what? I would almost guarantee any business owner out there, whatever product you, you have that you're trying to launch, you need to ask, the, I think, a new question of who's in my phone already? That is so good. That can help me. That is so good. It's, I don't know who came up with this. I've heard it's Arthur Ashe, but start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, you know, and that (laughs) is start where you are. Well, let's start with the, with your, you know, the, your contact list in your phone. Yeah. And you got to be bold enough to go, Hey, will you, will you help me? Yes. Yes. That's, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think that's a piece of it is that faith thing. Again, for me, it was, if I ask, they might say yes. But I couldn't live with not asking. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. I think a lot of us, well, what if they say no? What if they say no? Well, you knew you were onto something when they said, can you come tomorrow? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good sign. Right, 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 right. Um, so you're launching some, we're actually in, in Irvine, California. Yeah. And tomorrow you're launching, the, for the second time only, yeah. uh, a multicultural uh, session. Yeah. And that's been a passion point of yours. And we've talked a lot about that. So, yeah. so that's another idea that you're launching. Yeah. And so where did that idea come from? And you're, and again, tomorrow is, is a fun thing for me to watch because this is only the second time this particular venue or, or format has been done. And so you're, it's, you're experimenting tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it came honestly from, I think, recognizing the need. Um, I was at a black church, predominantly 25, and then came over to North Point, and people started calling me and asking me my perspective on diversity because North Point, for the most part, not all churches, um, but uh, was, was, is predominantly Caucasian, you know, 40,000 members strong. And then some campuses are super diverse, like Gwinnett is getting even more and more diverse. Um, Decatur City is diverse. Uh, Buckhead Church probably is the most diverse. I, I probably give Gwinnett second and then go to Decatur. But it was a big cultural shift for me. And I think me going on the journey, people started going, hey, what have you seen in our different cultures? And people just started asking me to help them <laughs> figure it out. And I'm like, oh, well, here's what I've learned. And hey, that's really valuable. I can use the same thing. Like today we did a, a session and, and I'm you know, rounding third base, coming back to the question again. <laughs> today we did a session on Orange Tour about how to create um, a better strategy for families in the city, which is where diversity thrives the most. And then I kind of talked about my journey of discovery of 
how I learned to speak to new cultures and saw different things. And a lot of it was learning and observing. So a lot of those principles are kind of what I use to help different organizations transition to help them reach new cultures. And so when I met Reggie Joyner, he wanted to turn the corner. I'm like, hey, let's figure it out. And uh, for us, it was you know, it, it was a really walking us up to where we are now. It was a very um, big experimental process, if I said that right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because what we realized nationally, which I think goes back to launching, it's a, it's a bunch of failures and a bunch of wins and a bunch of failures and a bunch of wins again. But you have to fail um, to figure out what the win is. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to. I mean, it's, it's no, you have to make a mistake to go, to correct it and then get to the right strategy. I mean, so for us, um, what we started realizing nationally was, you know, at first it was called urban. And we realized that urban has so much baggage and it means something so different in so many different places that we can't use the term anymore. People loved it in Atlanta, it was sexy black. In California, it was Urban Outfitters. In Dallas, it was Poor Black. And I got slaughtered by <laughs> 40 youth pastors that pulled me to the top and said, we don't, we're not poor. And I'm like, hey, that's not, in Atlanta, it doesn't mean that. And so we went down this journey of trying to figure out. And then, again, we would do Urban Breakouts, and only 20 people would come, and they were all black. And so I was like, what about the other leaders that are urban, that are white, that need, that need this information as well. What well, it had baggage for them. They thought it was a black too. And so we had to change the name to city. Once we changed it to city, the rooms exploded. Hmm. And so it was just kind of that trial and error and realizing to, you know, to the event that's coming up tomorrow that people are more drawn towards multiculturalism. It's a much more unifying term. And city is a much more unifying term than just urban or inner city or so on and so forth. And so tomorrow we just had this idea of doing an expose um, of all cultures coming in one room um, and starting small. And we're going to test it out this year and see where the interest is. Okay, 200, great. Next year we're going to expand it and expand it and expand it. But it's just been this thing of research, development, trying to see where the felt needs were. Mm-hmm. And then once we understood what the felt needs were, okay, people need to understand this multicultural thing and they just want to have the conversation and a forum to have it. They want to be informed. Then we built a strategy around the needs. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but <laughs> it makes perfect sense. In fact, if you've been listening to Launch University for a while now, you may have remembered one of the earlier sessions, and we refer to this a lot, a lot the, the launch sequence. And one of the sequences is prototyping. And that's what Sam is doing tomorrow. He's prototyping. And what you do tomorrow, you're going to learn. You'll tweak the next time yeah. you do this. And it'll look differently six months from now than it does today but that's what that's called prototyping Mm. and so you are along this launch sequence so you've launched but you are make you're building the bridge as you walk on it for sure i mean we did the first one in atlanta it didn't quite go the way i wanted it to go it was good right it was good it was great um but i think we realized because fuller is also doing it with us fuller um a seminary fyi fuller youth institute and so they've got some research that they're unveiling, and we've got some research we're unveiling. And so when you're trying to marry the two research projects together, there's just some things you've got to talk through. But really, it wasn't either one. It was the panelists that we chose. There was a little bit. There, I think some people thought we were supposed to be debating on the panel, and then some people thought we weren't. And I didn't think we were supposed to. So it was just one of those moments where you're like, hey, let's not debate with each other. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
We're supposed to be like giving information right. on the, you know, and so that was a big shift though for us because the second round we said, okay, we're gonna prep the panelists even more because we thought that we had done enough. But it's like, no, 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 we need to prep, prep them a little bit more so that we can really make sure we're on the same page as we navigate this difficult topic of multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. So we've already prototyped and made some changes. And I'm sure after this, we'll make another change as we go to Dallas. But you're comfortable with that. You're comfortable with the, the natural evolution of the, yeah. the idea. No, I, I really am. I mean, I think it's because if you don't experiment and critique, and then experiment again, you'll never launch anything. Mm. That's, that's great. I mean, you don't, nobody wakes up and has the cure to cancer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> or the cure to diabetes, mm. or medicine for this, or that, or nobody wakes up and launches a North Point, mm-hmm. or a Buckhead Church. Like, you have to figure it out. You have to see what, where the pulse is. You have to try stuff, because you'll never figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so now I've gotten, now I start, now I enjoy the process. Yeah. Now I enjoy launching and starting over and, okay, I like this. Okay, let, let's tweak this. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And I used to get stuck in the failure, which I think a lot of us do. Oh, I tried it. Didn't work. I'm nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, our, our mutual friend, John Acuff, talks about the, the danger of perfectionism. And perfectionism will say, no, it's got to be perfect. If it wasn't perfect, then you don't need to do this. Right. And, that's just not the, it's not the world of launchers, you know, no. this, this is not the world of perfection. It's, it's trying to tweak and, and change. And, and that's exactly what you've done, whether it's no losing, whether it's the, the venue that you'll have, the experience you'll have tomorrow, uh, music, whatever it's, it's just, it's been fun to watch. Uh, final question, as you look back on uh, this journey, particularly as it relates to no losing, what would the now Sam tell the. 10 year ago, Sam, about launching? Oh, um, I would tell the 10, are we going 10 years, 10 years? I would tell the 10, 10 years, years ago, ago, Sam, to build a business model before trying to innovate. Hmm. Because, or before launching the idea. Because I think a lot of times we have ideas and we just launch them. And then we try to monetize them. And I, 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 some now some ideas aren't meant to be monetized, right? But I think a lot of them are if they're going to be sustainable. Um, and it's really hard to monetize something that you didn't build it into on the front end. Hmm. Because you, what you've done is you've created a demand for something um, that was given away for free. And so they expect it to be for free. And so now you're trying to monetize and people are like, well, I didn't. I didn't say I was going to pay for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I would tell, you know, I would go back 10 years and say, hey, build a business model first and then launch it. So that, because I think you'll, you'll, when you strategize, you'll strategize differently. You go, what will people actually pay for? Mm-hmm. As opposed to what will they show up for free? You know, yeah. show up for, yeah. for free. I also probably would tell Sam 10 years ago that it's going to be bigger than you think. Move faster. Hmm. Move faster. Go bigger, do more by yourself before you bring people in, which is a a weird thing, right? Because we're we're always talking about high performance teams do high performance things, which I totally agree with. But I think I pulled too many people in on the front end, and the and the idea got diluted. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I should have done more myself 
first and brought in maybe one or two people to help me do it for like five years, then 200 people to go, hey, we're just doing something. We're going to launch a movement. Let's everybody. <laughs> right, right. Because it was just too many opinions. And uh, I, I wasn't a strong enough leader back then to be okay with not making everybody feel happy. And in leadership, what I've learned is, is you cannot make everybody happy. No. And if you try, you'll never get anything done. And by the end of you trying to make everybody happy, you look up and the vision is gone. <laughs> right. Because you're trying to make everybody happy. Because you're trying to make everybody happy. Um, so I, I think that's what I would say. You know, go faster, go bigger, go smaller, but yet bigger. Um, and monetize it on the front end. Yeah. No, that's great. Hey, how can we follow you on the social media internets? Oh, hit me, uh, Sam Collier, on everything. S-A-M-C-O-L-L-I-E-R. Hit, hit us on agreaterstory.org. Listen to the podcast. Check it out on iTunes. So excited yeah, to be a part a of this. You've got a radio show. Right. That's another thing we didn't even talk about. How do, how do they follow the radio show? <laughs> Just go to iTunes and okay. type in A Greater Story with Sam Collier or Sam Collier. Now, that launching that was... I think the culmination of a lot because, I mean, we've got 600,000 listeners, 70,000 since December. It has been an incredible journey doing that. I did that. I, I did what I just talked about. <laughs> so Launch University, don't miss that. 600,000 listeners and how amount of, what, what amount of time? Um, so it took us five years to get yeah. to 600,000 on radio, mm-hmm. but, it took, but we did 70,000 since December. Wow. And fast forward, or go back rather, to that comment that whoever that was said to your parents, I don't think you want to adopt these two. <laughs> uh, and God had a greater story for sure. Yeah. Wow. Sam Collier, wow. thanks, buddy. On behalf of Launch University, we love you. We love you. We actually love Tony Moore. Okay. Tony Collier, your wife. <laughs> I but, think you um, have to. You have to. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> but um, hey, thanks, man. Keep up the good work, the great work. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, what you're doing on the tour. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be great. For sure. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Launch University Podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.